Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. Greg, it is you and me, me and you. Why you and me and me and you and happiness together. I'm going to mute you. <laughs> Do that again. <laughs> okay, here we go. Where to hunt Where podcast. To hunt it's, it's, okay. It's, okay. it's okay. It's okay. Hi, I'm Dan Small, host of Outdoor Wisconsin, and I listen to Where to Hunt. Meh, it's okay. I'm Kurt Geyer with Working Class Bowhunter. I listen to Where to Hunt podcast, and it's decent. It's all right. Hey, this is Bud Fisher with Catching Deers, and I think the Where to Hunt podcast is all right. Hey there, Greg. Hi, Eric. So, uh, hey, everybody. It is April 1st. No fooling. Uh, my name is Eric. This is the Where to Hunt podcast. With us on the line is Mr. Greg Tubbs. And uh, this is episode 125. We got it wrong yesterday by a lot. <laughs> uh, it's fine. We got, it, we got it all figured out. It's Wednesday. No one knows what day it is. Everyone's confused. Everyone's got cabin fever and the weather is nice. So, um, yeah, things are good. And, uh, yeah, it's about time. We, we finally got to see the sun today. Blue sky. Well, boy, that cabin fever is about the only fever I have and it's set in pretty deep. So I'm really looking forward to even tonight. Still probably I'll have a fire or something. We'll see. Keep the scotch flowing. Well, um, let's call it our, our sponsors real quick and then let's get into it. Let's not, uh, bullshit too long here. So backwoodsgrind.com. Everybody knows their website smells like coffee. And if you don't, I recommend you go to backwoodsgrind.com. And I said it before, click and sniff. It just sounds weird, but I'm saying it again because it sounds weird. So uh, click around, take a look at what they have to offer. Uh, Greg and I seem to really like their camp house blend. It's delicious. And if you want to save 10%, you can enter in code W2H podcast. Uh, switch in boots. We recommend you do switch boots to Gumleaf USA. These are, Greg, what are they? 85% natural rubber, right? 85% natural rubber. And they yeah. have, what's it? It's a nice, Vibram sole? Very durable. Vibram sole. The, the one pair that I like are the Royal Zips, although um, those have a neoprene uh, lining, so they're kind of warm. So I've, I've switched to my wellies now officially, which have no lining and no zip. But uh, head over to their website, gumleafusa.com, enter in code W2H2020, and you can save 10%. And then our newest partner is Vector Custom Shop. If you go to vectorcustomshop.com, um, take a look what those guys have to offer. Their arrows are very unique in the space. There's none other like them, how they're built, uh, the specific diameter. Greg, you are a bit of a gearhead, so you might be able to speak to what they are better than me. Yeah, uh, they're a heavy carbon arrow, um, four millimeter shaft, 
and they are rocking the Essex outsert insert system up front, so very durable, uh, can take an impact, and uh, very impressed with how well they group together. Um, I'm in the process of building a set on my own. I know they actually offer them pre-built to you. You just email them your specs, what you're, what you're shooting, your draw length, your weight, and they'll take care of you as far as, you know, building you a set of, you can, you can get a, a, a test pack or you can go with a half dozen or a full dozen. Um, and they'll have them all built to your spec and ready to go. Beautiful. Um, and you can right get, now, uh, you can get the, actually, go ahead. They're giving away a bow for, for, uh, for purchasing. They're, you're, you're getting a chance to win a bow, a Matthews, uh, verdict or VTX, I believe. So it's a big deal. Uh, the, the newest Matthews. Yeah. So check them out, check them out on Instagram, vector custom shop. And then, uh, yeah, VectorCustomShop.com. If you want to save some money, you can enter in code where the number two, the word hunt, and you're going to get 10% off. And uh, I don't know, great guys, great company, great product. Uh, the reviews are very real, so um, very happy to be partnering with those guys. And uh, we do want to introduce our caller that we have on the line. With us today on the line is uh, none other than Doug Duran out of uh, the Driftless area in Wisconsin. Doug, how's it going? Very well. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to keep you indoors on this first nice day we've had in like two weeks. <laughs> but, nah, I got out for a while earlier. and uh, depending, depending on how this goes, I'm going to get out this evening and like you said, go out and have a fire or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that would be well in order. And um, I don't know, just fine. It's like spring is finally here, you know, short of the fact that we're all kind of on lockdown. But um why don't you take a moment and uh, introduce yourself? Tell us, tell us who Doug Duran is. Uh, I think a number of people do know, but some might not. Well, I'd like to describe myself as a big bald guy with glasses, um, which describes, of course, a, a big percentage of the men here in Southwest Wisconsin. But um, I uh, am a land manager, a conservationist, um, a frequent contributor to. Uh, the Meat Eater television show and podcast with, with my buddy Steve Ranella. Um, and I've worked with, uh, you know, a whole lot of uh, different conservation organizations on um, land management work and uh, that, that sort of thing. Um, I have a land management consulting and contracting business, and I also build and manage athletic fields. Oh, wow. That's a cool connection. Uh how long have you been doing both of those things? Did one stem from the other? Well, I started working, man, in the early, uh, well, I've had a long, uh, a long relationship with conservation. And uh, I mean, starting with growing up with a farm, the farm that uh, we have here south of Casanova is a couple of miles. And um, through my life, I've done everything from work for a reforestation company to uh, I got involved in the landscape business out in um, New England and uh, had a landscape business in Door County where we were doing naturalization and restoration. Um, just always had dirt on my hands and under my fingernails and um, uh, have a earth science background. Um, 
done a bunch of turf management work and worked, worked for an a engineering firm for a while as a project manager. And the main work that that firm did was a lot of uh, institutional work, um, schools, um, park districts, that sort of thing. And that's where I got into um, the athletic field work and just to really like that and have have stuck with it and um, have one big client, which is a, a soccer park, Red Soccer Park down in uh, Verona, Wisconsin, work with some school districts on their athletic fields. Um, and generally it's uh, natural turf grass. And, uh, but we have not done a handful of synthetic turf projects and that's, I don't know, just, you get to be 61 years old, man. There's a lot of different things happen to you over time. And, um, uh, I've never had any one particular thing that I was, um, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I, I, I've just always been interested in a lot of things and conservation has been a part of it. And there are a lot of different, uh, tentacles to that. That's fascinating. Actually, oddly enough, uh, you hear common themes and you talk to so many people. Uh, we just had someone on last night, uh, John Mulligan, and he said something similar. He's like, you know, you just, he's like, I, I, someone says, what are your, what's your goal for the next five years? And he's like, I don't know. You know, like it's changed. It keeps changing and keep becoming different things. And at 61, uh, you're still doing the same, right? Yeah. Um, and early on in, in life, I mean, I went to college, uh, I got a degree, I got two degrees in four years. I just happened to do it over an eight year period of time. Went a year, sat out a year, went a year, sat out three years, went back and finished. And, um, in between I was having life, you know, doing, doing things that were, uh, you know, sort of interesting and little adventures like working for a reforestation company and, and running our farm and doing a little traveling and that sort of thing. And, um, it seemed like early in life, I was just changing things about every five years. I've, I've stuck with like, this has been my, this is my 12th year of this business. Previous to that, I was with the engineering firm for eight years. And then, uh, I was, 1990, I started pretty much full-time in the landscape business, and I had a, a landscape uh, naturalization and restoration business up in Door County um, for seven or eight years. So it just seems like the older you get, the longer you stick with, with one thing. Well, or time starts that. to go the by faster, right? That, that's what happens when you get older. It just goes by quicker. <laughs> yeah, you don't have time to change. Like, wait, has it been but eight years already? Uh, yeah, wow. <laughs> So yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's me. And, and I, most folks know me from, you know, from meat eater. Um, it's been interesting, the whole social media phenomenon, and you can follow me on Instagram at Doug Duran. Um, and, and that's pretty much where I spend all my time, all my, my social media time a little bit on Facebook, but for the most part, part it's on Instagram. And it's just really interesting that um, people that I've known over the years, the cool thing about social media is that you're able to kind of stay connected with, with, with those folks. But I've had a lot of folks start to follow me. I can think of one friend of mine out in the state of Washington who uh, started following me because of, not because of uh meteor, but because of my, uh, her interest and my interest in, um, uh, farming and, you know, animal husbandry and um, conservation. 
um, from a different bent. And, and um, it wasn't because of being on Joe Rogan's podcast, which I've been on three times, or being on the Mediator podcast. It just, you know, social media has a way of, of sort of moving you towards uh, folks with common interests. And that's, it's, just, it's just really been cool to, to connect with so many different people. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because part of the topic today is, you know, and we might be getting sick of it by at this point, I'm not sure, but the whole social distancing, I've been saying, and maybe I'm not the only one saying this, it doesn't really care, is that uh, this is physical distancing and social gathering. I have not, I've talked to more people on FaceTime and WebEx and all sorts of other technical tools and Zoom than I've probably talked to in the last two years um, the number of faces I've seen from people that, you know, I don't normally get to see face to face. It's been interesting. It's almost, uh, fatiguing at some point, uh, what's going on here. And, uh, that being said, though, the ability to connect with folks, like, look at us, you know, I don't know that you would have had time to do this if this wasn't going on, you know? I, it, it, that's fact. Um, this is the time of the year where we're really ramping up in the business. And I, mean, I am 61, so I'm slowing down a little bit when it comes to the kind of work that I'm doing. And I'm making, I've made some um, decisions in my life. My wife and I moved up here to Casanova, um, so be three years this summer. And it's where I grew up, but, um, but it, it'll be three years ago. And, and so we're, you know, we're not in the Madison area. We're not, we don't see as many people. I mean, Casanova has all of, I think 325 is the population. Now the farm is a couple of miles South. I mean, I spend a little more time talking to our cats and my cattle than I, than I do to people sometimes, or at least being in physical distance. They're, of good, they're good listeners. Um, yeah, they are. They, and, you know, and the cats get bored with you. They just go to sleep, but um, it's, it's, the, the social distancing thing has been a lot easier up here than it has what it would have been had we lived still in Madison where I'd lived uh, for 25 years previous to uh, uh, previous moving up here uh, coming up on three years, like I said. Man. Well, you know, we have these, uh, I don't know, these notes here. I, I don't know. We don't need to go through them verbatim or anything like that at all, but um, you know, as a land conservation, I, I guess I want to talk about that maybe just a little bit longer because your disposition towards conservation, I think is a good one. Um, you know, you're in the heart of the CWD kind of zone in this state, at least, and arguably, uh, you know, among any place, but conservation to me seems like a hard thing to define. It's almost like trying to say, can you tell me what, uh, the, per, the definition of culture is? Can you really sum that up? Like, I would be curious to hear your version of conservation because I, from what I've read online and things of that nature, I've, I really liked your position on it. So if you want to kind of um, unpack that a little bit for the listeners and we can kind of use that as a springboard for kind of where this is going to go, I think. It's a simple phrase um, for me and one that came to me one day working with a forester. It's not ours. It's just our turn. Um, you guys may or may not know that I have the good fortune of being the this generation's steward of a piece of land of 400 acres here in the Driftless area that's been in my family for um, 117 years now. And I just grew up around examples of, of, of good conservation. And I didn't know what the heck that meant when I was a kid, but I did know that my dad and my grandfather and and folks in the area concerned themselves with um, 
you know, taking care of the land and taking care of the animals and, and taking care of, um, well, in our case, a lot of wooded property. It's just something that just came to mind. We live here on the lake in Cazenovia, Lee Lake, which is a little uh, 60 or 80 acre lake. Um, it's a you know big mill pond. <clears throat> and I remember when I was a kid that they used to let the lake down, you know, because it's got the dam with the, anyway, they were able to let the, the lake level down. And then there were these big carp saning events. So there were carp in the lake and, and they let it way down and they would sane all the fish, take the carp out, throw them in this big cage and they got, people took them or anyway. Um, and it was just this really fond memory when I was a kid. And, and I think about that, uh, um, uh, looking out the window here and looking at the lake, that uh, that was an example of conservation that, I mean, I wouldn't have said, well, we're saying in carp. I would have said, we're saying in carp. I wouldn't have said conservation. Um, there was a group of guys who, um, my dad's generation, you know, World War II guys who, who hunted and uh, who did things like hunting together, but also like this carp saining. And then they had other little projects that they did together. And that tradition continues here with a group that I'm involved with called the Cazenovia Turkey Busters, um, which is a really cool sort of group of dudes and, and, and some women that are, uh, you know, just kind of dedicated to the area. And again, not necessarily, you would say conservation, but just like dedicated to a place mm. um, and wanting to do what's right for that place. And of course, you end up having to have con uh, conversations about that. So actually one of my themes in life is conversations about conservation. Um, I love talking about this stuff, but yeah, it's hard to define. So like I said, I kind of boiled it down to that one phrase. It's not ours. It's just our turn. Um, and uh, that I think is a big part of it. That phrase, I, are there shirts? Have I seen this on shirts? I'm, this is not the first time I'm hearing that phrase. And I know it came from you, but it is, um, it's such a beautifully simple yeah, statement. Um, <laughs> I actually have a few here at the house. <laughs> um, and we're working on, uh, it, there's just been some, some things that, I, um, that I've been working on. And, and I, 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 I sold shirts at the, at the uh, I sold shirts at Pheasant Fest and have, have sold a few others. We're, there'd be a store up soon that we're working on. And, um, but, you know, with these odd times that are going on, I, I, uh, we just had some, uh, I have, I've been real comfortable about getting it all out, but we're going too soon. And um, a couple of years ago, we also used the shirts as a fundraiser for raising money with that phrase. Uh, we had that phrase on some shirts with the deer on it for raising money for um, uh, the dumpster program here in, in Southwest Wisconsin, where we started the, the whole carcass disposal thing with CWD, which that's definitely top conservation right um trying to slow the spread of cwd and it just struck me at that time that um we need to be doing more about basic hygiene um you know not throwing infected carcasses back out on the landscape and um that that program is, has grown I, I know you had my my good friend mitch baker on mm -hmm. mitch and, and his wife liz um i have just been incredible folks um 
help them with that effort. And there've been a whole group of other people as well, but I just feel like they're my, you know, my, my brother and sister in arms in this whole thing. Um, but that's, yeah. So you've heard the phrase before and, and you will hear it more um, often, especially as, as uh, a little more time goes by here. Yeah, and Greg, kudos to you because you're the one that um, reached out and got those guys on the show. That was, was that uh, end of last year, I think, sometime? In, yeah, it was towards the end of last year. Well, and, you know, and there's some other things too. It was kind of funny because they live like right around the corner from where my in-laws had property. And my, my father-in-law has family all over in that area. So there's between Sauk and Juneau County, there's quite a bit of relation up there. So it was just coincidental, I guess. I just saw something I think on one of Mitch's posts. I'm like, is that? And he's like, yeah, why? <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, Mitch, Mitch and Liz, are, they're just tremendous people. Tremendous. They are. Tremendous folks. And, and uh, yeah, that area over there in near Laval where they live, um, um, you know, and there's a little lake region over there. Uh, two man-made lakes, Dutch Hollow and Lake Redstone. Um, yep. And, you know, they really got involved with this because of their belief in, in um, conservation. Uh, I don't think they've had any positives over there yet on their properties of deer that they've, they've taken, but um, you got to applaud folks who are thinking forward and, um, you know, they're in their, I don't know, I'm going to get it wrong, but I, I think they're in their, like, their mid-30s. <laughs> And uh, they just have, they have a little bit they're right around music. there. Yeah, and uh, and I know uh, Liz has just recently started hunting, and and uh, you know she's a, a podiatrist and, and just smart as a whip, and it's just been great to have them involved because I I get calls about you know from everything from legislators to to folks like you who want to have me on and talk about the CWD efforts, and. <clears throat> As, as wonderful and flattering as that is, uh, like any of this uh, stuff, it, it's not about, I don't want to make it about me. It's much more about, here's this whole group of people. In fact, Liz uh, starts call, start calling a whole group that we're involved with CWD Avengers because it, oh, nice. she, she, she's a, that, that whole idea that the more people involved, the better, um, you know, is really important. You know, we did get uh, one question to come through in the comments. No one, no one, just folks real quick, the, the, the number on the screen is live. So if you want to call in and uh, ask us questions in the show, we'd be happy to take the call. Uh, but Jeff had asked, uh, he's, he said he's a fellow uh, Driftless Area property owner in Crawford County. Uh, and we hunt, I hunt near Crawford County, uh, I hunt in Grant County, and I think we stay in Crawford County. But um, he said he's curious to hear what, Doug, what you think about the current CWD situation and what we've done um, with the carcass, carcass disposal program in terms of uh, slowing the spread? Well, um, if you listen to my, uh, to the experts, which is, you know, if, if I have any advice for anybody, that's listen to the experts. And I, I, I'm, I'm just an informed, informed common person. And the way I get informed is to listen to people who know way more about this stuff than I do. And Brian Richards at USGS Wildlife Health Center is one of the people that I listen to. Dr. Mike Samuel, who is now he's a professor emeritus at the University of Wisconsin, is, is another one. Um, uh, you know, 
my my wildlife biologist friends at the Wisconsin DNR and, and around the country, Lou Cornicelli over in Minnesota, um, Dr. Mary Woods out in Wyoming. Um, those are the kind of folks that I, I listen to about it. Anyway, Brian, uh, Brian and I went out around the uh, Joe Rogan podcast a couple of years ago, and and when we were flying out there, I said. Uh, we were just talking about like stuff that we should be doing. And he goes, well, there's all kinds of low hanging fruit. And I said, well, you know, give me an example. He goes, well, biosecurity. Because of course he's a scientist and he says biosecurity. And I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? And he goes, carcass disposal. And uh, there had been uh, some of that work had been done, but then I was like, well, you know, but we're not doing that. He goes, yeah, that's low hanging fruit. It's sort of like uh, I was talking with one of our state representatives here about it. And I said, like, it's sort of like picking the tissue up off of the floor. You know, after you blow your nose, you don't throw the tissue on the floor. You throw it in the trash. Um, and so is it having a huge effect? No. Is it having an effect? Yes. Anything that you can do to slow the spread. There isn't a silver bullet with the spread of CWD. The, the the things that will have the most effect, we don't ha- we we are having trouble finding the will to do it. Um, but the carcass disposal thing is something that we can and should be doing, and uh, and it certainly helped. What are the numbers on that? That's hard to that's hard to quantify. But I can tell you, uh, the first year we did it, which was two years ago, and we just raised the money and did it. You know, Mitch and Liz and Tom Hoggy and 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 TJ. Um, uh, Hoggy got some dumpsters over in Sock, and Mitch and Liz and I and and the folks with that I raised the money with with the shirts. We had you know a dozen dumpsters out, or 16 dumpsters, or something like that. Well, I was responsible personally for six of them that I was monitoring and making sure you know that I paid for with the money we raised and then some of my own, and making sure we put the liners in and stuff. So <clears throat> I did a a little bit of an analysis on that, and the way I uh, what I came up with was you know, the average amount of what a carcass weighs, the leftover carcass, you know, the head, the spine, the bones. And um, and then how many of those you could fit into a dumpster and, or or how much how much the weight was of the dumpster when we got, when they weighed it, because that's how you pay for that kind of thing, right? It's, it's there's a, a base rate up to X amount of pounds. It's actually four tons, I, I believe, on a 20-yard dumpster. And then the overage. So we were getting six or seven, you know, ton into these oh, wow. dumpsters. So then you start doing the math, right? How many, how many carcasses is that? And, you know, so I averaged it out and we were getting over 200 carcasses um, into uh, every dumpster. And if you're looking at an area like, oh, let's say down by Ithaca, where we had one, which is down there in the, in the, in, in really in the hot area, the endemic area down there. And if you started to extrapolate the numbers, um, of those 200 carcasses, probably of those 60, I mean, you could do, you know, you could extrapolate a number and say 60 of those were positive. So rather than them ending up on the back on the landscape, because how do you dispose of them otherwise, right? People are putting them out and they're doing all that. So those were infectious, uh, infected carcasses that we, infected material that we kept off the landscape. Up here by me, fewer than that. But if you take the state, uh, the countywide average at that time, which was about 15%, well, uh, 200 carcasses, 
we probably kept 30 carcasses off. And the other part of it was, I'll never forget the one guy who came in and he was throwing the dumpster, uh, the carcass in there and he hadn't, he hadn't taken the head off of this dough and wasn't getting it tested. And I was like, Hey, you want to get that, that dough tested? And he goes, Oh no, I am not too concerned about it. And I was like, okay, but um, why are you? So, but it's cool that you're throwing the, the carcass in the dumpster, right? Because uh, you know, it's not in an, uh, it, if it is positive, that infectious material isn't being left on the landscape. He goes, yeah, I just hate to see him in the ditch, which is pretty much where he, what he told me right then was where he had been getting rid of his carcasses previous to that. Um, I talked to him a little bit more and eventually he goes, you know what? It doesn't cost anything. Yeah, I'll go ahead and get that head uh, tested. He said he was going to eat it anyway, but I explained to him, well, but it's good data. It's information um, that that the scientists are going to ha- are going to going to use to um, you know think about uh, be able to look at what the spread of the disease and that sort of thing. So we're I mean the dumpsters are a great thing. Don't get me wrong, but in terms of you know the the is it enough? It's not even close to enough. Yeah, not even close. Well, you know I find that fascinating because you know my dad uh, he drives a roll off for a living like a roll off dumpster for like construction sites and such and sure. he's been in that field his whole life. Um, and so he, he's like, well, you know, when I would butcher my own deer, I'd throw it in the trash and that trash gets picked up by the garbage man. And then that goes to a landfill and that's effectively where they're going anyways. He's like, I don't get it. I'm like, well, I think there's a population of hunters that don't throw them in the trash and put them out on the land. So this is really aimed at those folks to say, rather than do that, you know, if you don't want to put in your own trash or whatever, we have this dumpster. Um, his question kind of, I was like, oh, that's a good point if it's all going to end up there anyways. But it sounds like there's a, a whole population of hunters that uh, are just throwing them back out on the land. Well, so here's something that I can tell you about both testing for CWD and carcass disposal. The easier it is for somebody to do it, the more they are apt to do it. Yeah. And I don't think that's uh, unique to uh, chronic waste disease dumpsters or testing. I mean, anything in life like that, right? If it's easier to get something, the easier you make something, the more likely people are to do it. So that was the idea. Um, um, in my township, uh, Westford Township here in Richland County, uh, Richland County, Westford Township, um, the township gave me money towards the dumpster too. And their only request was, hey, can we throw like roadkill in there as we pick it up? Because, you know, the state program for that's gone. They, they, they stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, the, that was taken out of the budget a few years ago. So, yeah, we were doing that. And, um, of course, what inevitably happened is somebody saw a whole deer in the, the dumpster. And the next thing you know, on social media, oh, they're throwing, they're, people are just killing deer and, and throwing whole deer in the dumpster. Well, oh, and people were posting about that. And so, of course, I have to go cal- calmly on there and, and rather than say something like my father might say, which is what the hell's the matter with you? <laughs> um, I said, or perhaps it was a roadkill deer or one that was found dead. And that person brought it there and put it in um, wanting to make sure that it was taken off the landscape as well. Um, and in, in my case, highway state highway 58 goes through the farm. And uh, of course deer crossing the highway, you know, pretty frequently. And uh, we picked up every deer that was uh, that we could right in our stretch, which is more than a half a mile of highway, picked them up, um, cut their head off, uh, put it in, write it down as a roadkill. And if you ever go to the kiosks, there's when you fill out the form, you can do that. Um, 
fill out and, and just say, you know, here's my number and all that jazz, but this was a roadkill deer. And, um, um, and then it gets tested as well and adds to the, to the data. The big thing is that they have to know where exactly where it came from, right? And so if it got killed on Highway 58, you still have the township section range where it came from. And it's very easy to do. So um, the first year, there was a little bit of, what the hell are you doing, Duran? And, um, <laughs> and then a lot of good discussions, good conversations about conservation came from that. And last year, um, I ended up... Uh, a lot of other people got involved last year, and the DNR did a cost share program for them as well. And uh, I was really only responsible for two locations last year, which was great because it was the year before it became a part-time job that I wasn't getting paid for. And it was, you know, it's, I mean, I do a lot of volunteer work, but man, it was, it was it turned into a lot more. But we were able to provide the data and show the evidence and um, and you know, and, and DNR get behind it. And we're trying to get some legislation passed in the state to. For them to for more um, money to be um, allocated towards it so that we get dumpsters in every county because uh, i mean it makes sense right this over here in richmond county there are people who not everybody who hunts in richmond county is from richmond county in fact it's it's pretty remarkable when you start looking at the numbers um, a lot of them uh, a lot of folks um, are, you know live somewhere else and um, yeah. you know and I know a bunch who live like in the Milwaukee area or Waukesha area or Conemwalk or whatever. And, and they're like, geez, we like to take our deer home and, and butcher it there. Well, then the Waukesha County, Milwaukee County, you know, if they've got a couple of dumpsters, um, that would be a good thing too. Now those people might butcher in their garage, put them in black bags and, uh, and put it out on the curb. But the truth of the matter is there are um, solid waste uh uh, companies who won't take your carcasses if they're, they know okay. they're in the trash. Okay. That's so, good to know. That, that long explanation. No, but, thank yeah. you. And, and, you know, the, the tie in here is interesting because the, the guy that you'd ran into that said, you know, I, eh, I'm not going to get it tested. I'm just going to throw it in here and all that stuff. You know, your response is, but no, we want the data point for the scientists so we can start to look at this holistically um, I find that compelling, you know, with how initially it seemed like as a population, some folks really weren't taking the COVID-19 stuff too seriously. Um, and the conversation is, well, yeah, you might not be the sick one, but you could impact other people. So, um, you know, what, what type of relationship is there, if any, between COVID-19 uh, and CWD, short of the fact that, you know, COVID is so new and we don't fully understand it yet or have, um, you know, any, any way to deal with it yet in terms of a vaccination. But obviously CWD from what I've heard from what you've put out there uh, isn't really killable, right? So that's some pretty scary right. stuff yeah, when you get no, into the science exactly of it. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it, boy, if there was, the similarity ends there, obviously right now with COVID-19 and Obviously, I'm not a doctor, and I don't. I mean, I don't <laughs> pay sure? as much attention to it as anybody. But and I don't even play one on a podcast, nor will I, you know. Um, but again, I I try to listen to experts more than I listen to uh, folks at the bar or folks who might have a financial interest, and and then um, politicians, at least some politicians. Anyway, you know. Um, Again, I hate to keep bringing Mitch up, but I just love that guy. And, and he said something, he probably said it on your podcast. He said something as I would rather we did all that we could and find out we did more than we had to 
than to not do everything we could and find out we didn't do enough or something like that. And Mitch is probably, if he's listening, he's probably going, ah, you almost got it, Doug. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the point is, so much of this is if you wait, well, like with CWD, people say, well, we're always dead deer. Well, if you wait until you see all those dead deer, it's too late. It's sort of like, and so I see that parallel with, with COVID-19. Sure. If you wait until you start seeing a lot of people like, oh, more people, you know, die from the flu and all of that. Yeah, well, that's also something that you can get a shot for and, and those sort of, that sort of thing. We don't, there's nothing, there isn't a vaccine for COVID-19 right now. I know they're working on it. Um, and I understand that um, folks are worried about, like, the effect on the economy and all of that. But, um, man, this is not the kind of thing, at least in my mind and from what I can tell from the experts, um, like Dr. Fauci is one of the people that I listen to who's in the, the, uh, on the COVID-19 task force. Um, we need to do everything that we can at this point to control it um, rather than worrying about, you know, what the bottom line is all the time. And um, that's not to say that we shouldn't, um, you know, ask questions and consider perspectives and motivations and things like that. But, um, man, listening to the experts and knowing who experts are and what their motivations are make a lot more, uh, makes a lot more sense to me in, in, in almost any case than, um, you know, listening to somebody who has a, a political or financial uh, stake in all of it. Okay, we're going to take a quick break for... The Shot of the Week. All right, so this is the Shot of the Week, brought to you by Vector Custom Shop. If you haven't heard of Vector Custom Shop, head on over to VectorCustomShop.com. And take a look around. I highly encourage it. That's where I got my arrows from. That's where Greg got his arrows from. And uh, they really start by asking some basic questions about your particular setup. How do you hunt? They then make some suggestions on the optimal weight, FOC, which means front of center, the vein type, the helical. And really, they want to get the job done dependently. So, you know, they're going to ask you some other things about your draw length, and the weight that you're pulling back, they're trying to help you build a system that takes your whole setup into consideration, giving a holistic overview of your entire bow setup and how you hunt as far as, um, what is your hunting style? Are you a mobile hunter? Are you run and gun? Are you out of a tree stand? Are you in the ground? And uh, what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? So these are some of the things that Vector Custom Shop will help you with when you pick out arrows from their website. So there's so much more than just an arrow company. So this week, we're going to talk about the close shot. And uh, Isaac had shared his had shared his story with us. It was a six yard shot um, on the opening day of rifle season with his bow. And so this was in 2019. And uh, let's just say the parking lot that was packed full of uh, gun hunters with orange everywhere. Um, you know, they didn't have any opportunities apparently. And when uh, Isaac pulled back into the, the parking lot with a doe, 
uh, a lot of those guys got kind of pissed off. But that that's I guess that's one hell of a shot of the week. Six yards on opening gun last season. This is just last year with a bow. Uh, that's impressive. And that beats my 10-yard shot that I took on a doe from the ground. So we're not trying to best anybody here. I'm just saying that's pretty radical. If you have a shot that you want to share with us, and it could be a shot of scotch, let's just be honest. But if you have a shot that was the longest, the craziest, the weirdest, the one that got away, the one that had a full pass through and, and really nailed that deer that you wanted, um, share it with us. We'll share it with everybody else. Let's get back to our interview with Doug Duran. Greg, I feel like you should, I, I should let you run with any questions you have. I've done a good job of um, interrupting most of the time. So I want to give you, I want to make sure I'm giving you the opportunity. <laughs> You're doing a good job of just kind of rolling along with it and, and interrupting. So I just let you do it. And then I sit in silence here. That's, that's what I do. Um, no, I think you guys are hitting everything pretty well on the head when it comes to you know, the CWD stuff. I mean, I know, you know, I can remember way back when they started testing for CWD in my area, Jefferson County. And I had, in fact, I had just shot my first buck ever with a shotgun and I threw it in the truck and we took it in town to the registration station, would happen to be one of many bars in Watertown and uh, pull up and the DNR people were there and they're like, yeah, you know, you mind if we take a sample of your deer? my dad was with and my dad's pretty old-fashioned he's not really open-minded to any of that kind of stuff well how are you going to do that well we got to cut the skull open you know or we, we take the whole head and we might give it back to you well no you're not you're not taking the head off that deer that just that's just terrible you know so it's funny you know how people perceived it at first and some still do um and i was never really you know, I didn't really have a role model and, hey, this is the right thing you should do. So fast forward, you know, to my 2018 season, it was like more and more awareness was, was out there on getting it tested. And I had heard Doug talk about, you know, CWD and, and I believe I had, by then I had heard your interview with Rogan and, and, you know, Mitch and Liz are on the scene and they're, they're posting stuff about it. It's like, you know, I, I think I need to reevaluate what I'm doing. So all three deer that I took in 2018, um, I had every one of them tested, even the buck that I got mounted, you know, there was a way for them to be non-invasive and, you know, cut the skull open to get what they needed. So uh, I, I went through the process of doing it, it was a little more work, but it wasn't really that bad. I didn't think. And, you know, and we they, don't have they, a dumpster they, here. Did they all test negative, Greg? They did. All three of them tested negative, no issues whatsoever. It's good to know then. Um, you have some, but, some confidence on team, yeah. you know? Yeah. It, well, for, confidence. Oh, go ahead. No, what I was going to say was that that's, that is good. Um, information because we started testing when when the uh there was the outbreak down in um uh, iowa county dane county you know sort of the mount horrible area we well eventually richland center but when it first started south of the river you know um we were in the cwd management zone and i loved it 
And not that about the CWD part of it, but what happened was DNR Wildlife um, used the power that they had to establish this management zone. And so we were in the northern part of the zone, and, and I'm not a, um, a bow hunter. I'm a, I'm a gun hunter. And um, long story there, but um, mm-hmm. all of a sudden we were able to hunt with a gun uh, earlier, and then we were able to hunt longer. And you know, on our farm, and suddenly we established some new traditions with with friends, folks who came from other parts of the state and hunted with us. And and one of the big goals was to reduce the population, something that we had been working on for a while. But that was like 2002, 2003. I shot the biggest buck that ever been killed on our farm in 2005 with a rifle on uh, uh, Halloween. Um, and you know, it was a it was a big deal. I mean, I shot him at 35 yards. I mean, he was going to walk right into bow range if I'd have been sitting there with a bow too. But um, you know, it was a deer that I figured out. But it's a whole different uh, you know a different story. You don't. It's pretty hard to miss at 35 yards, which is is fairly easy to do with a bow. I, I mean, I don't have any illusions that it's more difficult to do with a bow but we're when we're managing deer which is what they were trying to do to manage them with a gun was was a big deal um uh that's how you that's how you kill deer is with with guns you know um but uh i was we didn't test that was 2002 up to about 2005 and then at that point they were saying they only wanted to test the deer that were most likely and those were older males um my 2005 buck didn't get tested because we weren't in an area yet where um i mean i just i wasn't that aware yet right but i'm paying attention to it we started testing um some deer about 10 years ago and I want to say it was six years ago now, we've tested every deer. And it wasn't until 2017 that we got our first positive. So imagine, and, and uh, this might surprise you, but we kill as many as uh, 30 deer a year on our farm. And, uh, and there's never, there's a never ending supply of them. People worry about, oh, we're not going to herd back so much. Well, at least in my corner of the world up here um that's not been a problem and then there are folks who will say well geez you know it's not fair to the bow hunters or whatever i'm like great then don't don't do this on your farm um 95 of the land in richland county uh, the hunting land in or deer habitat in richland county is privately owned if you don't want people hunting with guns on your land then don't but why stop someone like me who wants to do that and wants to control population um from doing that I, sorry, rabbit hole, but um, it's a good one. I'm down. The, I'm down to follow you into this one. <laughs> right, but the, the point was is that we went on for quite a while with testing, um, and then it was um, eight or ten years ago where we started testing every deer. Those meat eater episodes that we um, that we did, those deer all got tested. We had no positives, and then suddenly. 2017, there's our first positive. So we had a pretty good database of what deer, um, uh, how many, you know, how many deer had been tested without having a positive. Suddenly, there in, in 2017, we had two, and they were both two and a half year old bucks. In 2018, um, we had one, and it was a year and a half old buck. Now remember, we're getting, we're getting fawns tested. Sure. 
And then last year, 2019, it was a year and a half old doe who had yet to have a fawn. Now that deer is going to die. She's going to die if we shouldn't get shot, as she did. Um, she's going to die within two years. So when you start thinking about that, it's like, wow, she wasn't only going to have one fawn, and then she'd have probably succumbed to the to the illness, maybe two, right? But it made me start asking questions of guys like Brian Richards and Mike Samuel, and I'm not going to speak for them, um, but and and uh, Eric Cannonia, our southern deer biologist, who is just a tremendous guy. He works for the DNR. He's our southern deer biologist, and I just cannot say enough good things about him. And he's only been on the job for a couple of years. You know, that position wasn't filled for a long time. But they were kind of interested, and Brian's like, well, it's mostly anecdotal, Doug. I mean, you don't really have that big of a, a, a sample, so don't read too much into that, other than, obviously, CWD is present in your area. Um, but it struck me that we have a very high population of deer, not only in the county, but in our area somewhere of in the neighborhood of 75 deer per square mile of, of habitat. And obviously, that varies, and they move around, and there's all of that kind of stuff. But they were younger deer. And so I speculated that those younger deer are coming in from south of us, where prevalence is much higher, because all our older deer, and we're killing four and a half, five-year-old bucks, you know, three and a half, four and a half, five-year-old bucks. We killed a five-year-old doe a couple of years ago. None of those were positive. And those were, you know, our local deer, if that makes sense, right? I mean, you guys know enough. I mean, everybody who deer hunts knows enough about deer to know that the older a deer gets, probably the less that it moves. Um, we have a, it, it, you know, we get a, I mean, it's just like people, right? I mean, I, I'm not moving around nearly as much as I used to. Um, and, uh, you know, and of course those are anecdotal, uh, but it follows the trend also. It follows the trend. Yet when you, testing is happening, you can look over time. I have this great series of slides that uh, came from the DNR uh, data that I use in the talks that I do on CWD. And it shows you how it spread over time. And there are people who say, well, yeah, well, most people are people are who think they've got positives are getting them tested. So of course there's more positives. It's like, no, man, we're getting, we didn't used to get all our deer tested. And more, the more and more, yeah, yes, more testing is happening. Just sort of like you're hearing with COVID-19, well, more tests that you take, more positives are going to be, duh. That doesn't mean it's not that it hasn't been there or that it's not growing exponentially. The trends in both of these instances are, are almost vertical now with CWD and with COVID-19 as well, right? So there's a similarity. So the trends are like that. And I would make the argument that in Richland County, with an increasing, we're up to like 17.5% um, of the deer tested are testing positive, which is different than prevalence. You have to do more in-depth data studies to come up with prevalence, and that's why they have those zones. If you go on DNR, CWD mm. prevalence, you'll find these maps that show you these areas where they've done all the work, right? So they've got a four or five township area where they're they're doing the work of you know extrapolating the age of the deer, the sex of the deer, the numbers, and so that they can give you a graph that shows you prevalence in older bucks, younger bucks, older does, younger does, and in fawns. Um, so all of the, I would argue that because we're testing guys like me and a lot of other people are getting every one of their deer tested. We're testing deer that are less likely to have the disease yet prevalent or, or the, the, the number of uh, positives and in those areas where they're doing prevalence, prevalence is going up. Pretty much shows to me that one, 
the disease uh, is increasing, and two, all of a sudden you've got positives showing up in an area where there weren't positives before, that shows spread. And that's basic, basic epidemiology. I don't care what it is. One COVID-19 positive in the United States, and then it's, it grows exponentially. Um, uh, you know, so those epidemiology is uh, applicable to not just deer or, I mean, it's applicable to all kinds of things. So it, it, it's not like, oh, we're reinventing this each time. This, this is, it's science and it's based on data. And the more data, the more solid the science. Yeah, it's super fascinating. The, the epidemic, uh, well, I'm not going to say that word because I'm not going to say that word apparently in my brain. My brain's not going to do it. Um, but deer are social animals. Human beings are social animals. And uh, I, I forget, I think I read this in a book called Why We Get Sick a long time ago before I went to college. And uh, this is so long ago that I'm not sure if this has been solved or not yet. But at that time when I read this book, um, you know, it's talking about infectious diseases and things like that. And they, they weren't sure if when humans sneezed, if that was because our body is trying to eject, you know, a virus or whatever, or if it's because the virus is so sophisticated that that's the way of it making it spread itself by making us sneeze. And they didn't have an answer. They, wow. Like, medically speaking. That, that's it. Medically speaking, they didn't have an answer. So you said you read that before you went to college? It's like you like sort of a dark period in your teenage years? <laughs> I, was, yeah, I was dating a, a doctor <laughs> or something. So I was, just gonna be, so I was like, no, oh, I'll read what you're reading because I want to, yeah. <laughs> That's fascinating. Um, yeah, the whole social thing, right? So we're doing social distancing now. Um, I keep waiting for uh, for one of these uh, deniers of, of CWD to uh, who said that, well, you know, deer are social animals and, you know, you can't keep them apart. So why, uh, you know, why bother? And it's sort of like, well, humans are social animals, so... Why bother? I keep waiting for one of them to go in, one of them going in front of the Congress and saying the same thing. Um, and I've heard that from people. I mean, it, I've heard it, people it, saying you're not going to separate it's us. Ridiculous, <laughs> it's as ridiculous a comment as saying that you can't uh, do things to mitigate the spread of CWD by uh, eliminating, decreasing, eliminating unnatural contact. Yes, deer naturally congregate. Um, you know, there's family units, uh, they, 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 they get together and, and, you know, you got bucks running around doing all this, but that's a heck of a lot different than a pile of mineral on a stump or a pile of bait in a field or on the edge of a woods where every deer in the area is coming to. That's yeah. unnatural congregation. We can't do anything about natural congregation in deer, but we can do something about natural or unnatural congregation, right? And those are unnatural things. So it makes no sense to me at all to say, well, you can't, they're still going to get together once in a while. So let's just let them get together as much as we can possibly get them to. Um, there's the arguments against the, uh, against baiting, the baiting bands and stuff make no sense to me whatsoever from just from a, a logic standpoint. And, and obviously the number one thing that we can do with COVID-19 is the social distancing. And obviously it's a hell of a lot easier generally with people who are um at least if they'll listen to reason and you know and stay apart and from what i can tell man people are are uh, at least when i'm seeing around here people are um people are taking it seriously and yeah, i'm yeah. so happy about that yeah. 
think that's true from for most. I think it's true for most. I think the flattening of the curve thing is hopefully happening. I try to watch the news every day about this. Not too much, but enough to stay as informed as as we can. But paying attention to the the credible sites out there, the World Health Organization, and um, you know the CDC and CDC, some local yeah, gov sites yeah. and things like that. But um, it's just an int- It's a super. We're 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 living through history, you know, and the the world has not seen something like this before in this day and age. And it's fascinating to me how the internet is kind of still keeping us all together in some sort of loose way, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. And that, that actually brings up something I'd really like to talk about. Um, if you go uh, to www.thecureisus, yep. I'm sorry, the cure is dot, dot us. Yeah. Okay. The, the us is the, whatever that thing is called at the end. Sorry for my lack of, but anyway, know, the, www, the cure is us. The cure is dot us. I'm going to say it again and I'm going to get it right. <laughs> I got it w- on the screen, w- everybody. W- you can, dot, can see it here. The cure is dot us. Um, this was a movement that was started by a friend of mine um, who, uh, God, I just, I just love this guy. His name is Matt. And, um, He's one of the most interesting people I've ever met in my life. And he and a friend of his from college um, who has a, uh, his friend from college has a uh, marketing firm, put this thing together. And so the cure is us is uh, you go on and, and, and go to that website and it's really, you know, just basic common sense stuff, but it's sort of people getting together, people reaching out, I mean, getting together online and, and, and all of the, the, the things like what you can do to be a part of the solution, you know, listening to the experts, staying at home, keep the social distance, wash your hands, stop touching your face. But the hashtag, the cure is us, or the cure is dot us is a big part of this. And it's just the idea that we're showing some um, solidarity and solidarity. We're showing some sense, I think is a big part of it. And it's pretty cool because um, you guys probably um, didn't grow up when, when Bo Jackson was in his heyday, you know, Bo knows everything. Bo knew, I mean, he was a, 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 a greatest athlete, one of the greatest athletes of our time. Um, he happens to be a friend of my, my friend, uh, Matt. Um, Bo Jackson has been talking about, about this. Uh, Pete Alonzo, the home run king who was on, um, uh, who just did a hunt with Steve uh, Ranella, um, uh, Trevor Story, a whole bunch of, of, of athletes that honestly I, I didn't know that much, but I kind of followed baseball and that, that much. I mean, I knew Pete Alonzo was because, because of me either, but and I knew Bo Jackson because of his, just because he was just such an amazing athlete. And he's a really cool guy. I mean, you don't listen to anything that he talks about, and he's a smart guy, great businessman, all of that. Um, but uh, the Olympian swimmer, B.J. Bedford, um, skier, Michaela Schiffen, there's just, a, and then some actors and singers, and they're just, you know, it's just like sharing their their thoughts and experience. So um, the whole mission was just to spread understanding, show some solidarity, uh, solidarity, and, and, and then that, that just, again, supporting people, getting that information out there, and, and and that the role that people can take in it is is to is to just 
acknowledge it and be a part of it. Um, I've been seeing, I've got a, I printed out a couple of things. I've got one in the back of my, uh, there's some, there's some graphics and stuff that you can just go on there and print out. Um, I've seen people just like hashtag the cure is us on a sheet and hang it outside their house. Um, but there's a bunch of cool graphics on this website that were developed that are, it's all for free. You can just go on there and, 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 and grab it and take it and just like show that you're in, you're in this, uh, as well. Um, one of my favorite, uh, bands in the world is the hardworking Americans. And, uh, they did this song and other people have done similar songs. We're all in this together. And that's what really this is that part of it's all about, you know, um, we're all in this together. So, um, please, if you've got a minute, go to the cure is dot us and just look it over and, and, you know, show your solidarity with solidarity with everyone else. Um, you know, through that, um, use of that phrase. That's pretty cool. The fact that you tied it back to a band that you like is pretty fascinating. What a hardworking Americans, man. You got a steel uh, trap. <laughs> yeah. It's a jam, it's a jam band and the guy named, and this, I'll tie something else in uh, a guy named Todd Snyder. Who's one of my favorite, uh, singer, songwriters, folk musician. He's a bit of a character. Um, he's a really good friend of another, uh, of my favorite singer songwriters is John Prine, who is fighting for his life night right now, um, with COVID-19. Um, but anyway, uh, um, Todd Snyder, um, is in that band. He's the singer. And then a guy from, uh, lacrosse, uh, Chad Staley is the keyboard player in the band. And uh, he is a co-owner of a thing up in La- a, a distillery up in lacrosse called lacrosse distilling. And they switched over their production of alcohol, um, some of which I have upstairs and I like very much, um, to producing hand sanitizer. And they're um, producing it. Uh, and from what I understand, man, they're giving it away. That's really super cool. And, I mean, that's a, the, that's the kind of stuff that you hear about, and you talk about solidarity. What a what an incredible thing that some of these businesses are able to do to completely shift and change their gears. Yeah, it's, another one um, is a, a young man. Well, he's not so young anymore, but Hatch Distilling up in uh, Door County. Guy used to work for me when I had a landscape business, and uh, he got into the distilling business and. Um, He's doing that up there, and and uh, both of those businesses are basing their their uh, uh, their 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 production when it's not for hand sanitizer on um, pollinators and hand uh, I'm sorry pollinators and, uh, and you know good conservation work like they're making uh, uh, I know that. Uh, Chris up at Hatch Distilling is making, they're, they're using bees and the honey from the bees, but then the bees are doing the pollinating and, and all of these things are tied together. And it goes back to the phrase, you know, we're all in this together. Check that song out by the hardworking Americans. You know, and it will, <laughs> I'm going to, else, you get up, you'll get up and move around in the house when that's going on. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, uh, those are the kinds of things that I think are just you know, it's just super cool. And that's the kind of solidarity that I love seeing about this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, with my, it's not ours, it's just our turn, um, phrase. Yeah. There are t-shirts coming out, 
both on my site and and then on a, another one that is much more popular than mine and it'll be out those will be out eventually so that's part of why i'm holding my stuff back but um meat eater and i've been i've been been working on it um that the reason i can i'm starting to sell merch you know um and it'll be out soon follow me on doug duran at instagram is that money uh or selling that, that material is doing two things. One is spreading that phrase and spreading that word and that ethic, right? It's not ours. It's just our turn. Um, conservation ethic. And then the money that I get from it, I'm turning back into, into some other conservation efforts. And when I go out and do get this opportunity to talk about CWD, you know, a lot of times it's like, yeah, I'd like to come and do it, but man, it's like a day off of work to drive up there. And, you know, I, it's a labor of love it, at that point, right? Difficult to yeah, I mean, now, now it's, and I'm self-employed and, and then I'm trying to do a little more of an education center at the farm. We're going to, I hope to do a walk or a drop-in art installation out there about conservation. And, and those are the kind of efforts that we're, I want to put that towards, you know? So, um, and, and these guys like lacrosse distilling and hatch distilling and, and my friend, Matt, his buddy at the cures.us, um, you know, it's inspiring stuff. And, and, um, I like to try to inspire and I love being inspired and, and um, it's pleasant surprise. You know, it's just not all about, you know, what's in it for me. So enough about that. <laughs> I think it's uh, you're, you're definitely doing a lot, even like the stuff with the meat eater. I can't, it's, uh, I don't know. That's a, that's a, a different ball game at that point, right? The, the recognition and, and, kind of uh, notoriety you get on that you mentioned uh before we hit the record button like being in alaska and that's starting to now get picked up by cable networks and so the the delayed impact of people starting to learn who who you are as a result of doing that stuff i can't imagine what that's like navigating personally you know having all of that outreach on you know social media um well you keep you keep doing your stuff on this podcast man and and, and you'll you'll figure it out yeah no that whole thing with steve was such a happy accident you know just getting the getting to be friends with him you know i heard of him about a dozen years ago read some of his stuff i reached out he reached back next thing you know we became friends and then all this other stuff happened so it was just like, like i said this big happy accident so i kind of feel like um this happened serendipitously and uh and, and honestly, he answered an email from me. That's how we got to be friends. And was it just the so one? Because usually you hear these stories and it's like, oh, you had to send a whole bunch through. You must have just had some serendipity on your side in terms of that landing and having enough to, to catch his attention. Well, I'd like to think it was a well-reasoned and insightful email. But it really, actually it was. Um, Steve and I got to be friends not because I'm some great hunter or anything like that, like he is, but much more because of obviously we're interested in that and my interest in conservation and he's interested in that. Um, but also because we're just like, we talk about movies and we talk about music and we, um, uh, you know, and we give each other the berries in a way that, um, well, I don't know if you've ever heard, I, I was on the, I, I called in and I gave him, I gave him hell about something that he said about CWD and all the hours and hours and hours and hours that he talks, he made one comment about CWD and I called him and I gave him hell and he and I were arguing, yelling at each other on the telephone. And um, said, I just said, dude, you cannot say that. And uh, he's like, Do you remember no. and, what he said? And, you know, and, and I was, 
I'm sorry? Do you remember what he said? About CWD? Yeah, still now that pissed you off so much? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember exactly what he said, but let's not go there. Okay. But, um, what he, I, no, I'll tell you. What he said, he was talking with the guys from uh, Quality Year Management Association, and he said the, the biggest concern that I have, um, or I wish the way I wish he would have said it, was the biggest concern that I have. But he said the only thing. I happened to be, it was so weird because they were doing this podcast and I was staying at his, with a couple of buddies. We were trout fishing out in Montana. I was three blocks away. Had I heard it live, I'd have probably wrote, you know, drove down there, walked in there and grabbed him by the back of the neck and said, you can't say that because that's kind of the relationship he and I had. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I, it was weird because I happened to be there and he said, the only thing that I'm concerned about is human uh, uh, um if it jumps to humans other than that it's just a disease that another disease that kills deer and i just i was listening to the podcast because you know they record them and then they play them a couple of weeks later and i was literally doing some work in a machine and i stopped the machine while i was listening and i was like backed it up listened again i was like oh my god and i sent him a an email and uh then a text message and said i just sent you an email and i'd like you to read it <laughs> and five minutes later he called and then we he just he didn't and, and, and rightly so he didn't think that i he thought i was maybe um being a little uh, uh over the top um which i can be from time to time um but i just said man you don't you don't at the position that you're in that's the kind of stuff that people can isolate and say well steve steve doesn't think it's that big of a deal and, but he did, but it, he does know it's a big deal. So we had a, then he, I called in, he asked me call into the podcast, you know, a few weeks later and, and we talked about it a little bit and he apologized and, and, uh, you know, much more than I did. Um, it just kind of shows you the kind of guy that he is and what his concerns are too about, um, about, he takes what he says very seriously. Um, the dude, like I, um, I'm actually writing a song right now that was about meat eater. And it's a long story why, but the guy, you know, he loves to talk, but he also walks the walk. And, and yeah. uh, one of the reasons he and I are, as I said, are such, I think why we got to be such friends is, is that we can disagree with each other. We've had other very heated discussions. Um, we can disagree with each other, but we also keep our mind open enough to uh, listen to what the other guy is saying. And um, I know I've changed his mind and I'll tell you, there's some things that he's changed mine about, or at least given me another perspective. And, I think that's a sign of a of a real um, a real friendship. And I, I think you know he he's got two brothers. I've got well, I had three, but I still have two brothers, and we're all real close. And there's just a lot of parallels between him and I, other than uh, the big differences that I'm you know 15 years older than he is. But uh, but he's Steve Rinell is probably the most solid human being I've ever met in my life. That's just cool. from a from a integrity standpoint good to hear that you see people on tv and you and you wonder but um i'm gonna i'm gonna interrupt you because uh go ahead we got a caller here we got kyle giving us a call uh hey, hey kyle you're live on the where to hunt podcast uh, our guest our guest is doug Duran. uh how you doing doing all right yourself good wow you sound nice and clear you must have a fancy microphone on that phone <laughs> I said no. I actually don't this time. I, I'm out of the wind though this time. So there you go. Um, <laughs> uh, 
Doug Duran, big fan. Uh, great Good, to hear you. On, you. Great to hear you on Eric's podcast. And uh, Eric and I talk often. I live. Uh, I actually grew up out of or in Waukesha area, but live up in Hudson now. Um, oh yeah. But um, and I grew up hunting down in Platteville, Lancaster area. So kind of all over. But that uh, the CWD thing hit home hard down there. Um, I remember every deer basically we had were were getting dropped off getting tested um back when i started hunting and everything like that and then it kind of tapered off and stations and stuff like that stopped necessarily testing everything became more voluntary than it did mandatory but uh you know i haven't been down there for the years with going to the military and everything but now being up in hudson area i know we have a couple cases up here um and last year i actually physically saw a doe on a trail camera that looked real bad and then didn't see any more pictures of her. So I'm assuming worse got to her, but, um, <clears throat> just, just kind of something to keep an eye out. Um, I know it's a kind of oddball question, but, uh, I just pulled some trail cameras the other day and I actually still have bucks up here, um, with antlers on. So I know you're big with, uh, into herd management and everything. It, I mean, is that something to, keep an eye out for or is that something that can be common with how the weather's going or is that something that you know to, to look into well if you're asking me does it have anything to, to do with chronic wasting disease i i would say probably not i mean again now i'm i, I don't want to i don't want to start talking like a deer biologist because i'm not <laughs> but um uh but it's interesting isn't it i mean uh they say and, um, and I wish Eric, uh, maybe that would be a suggestion, by the way, is to have Eric Cannonia on sometime. He's a great, great guy and a good uh, deer biologist, but um, a great deer biologist, I should say. Um, I would say that that might be a sign of a milder winter. Um, you know, they, um, I mean, I'm just speculating, of course, but, um, you know, sometimes they drop them earlier. Um, you know what what causes it i i yeah i'd be mostly speculating but it's pretty interesting though um the first meat eater that i did with uh in season 1 we were uh we had some gun uh we had some uh landowner management um tags and so it was literally the last day of february and uh i shot a, uh we had pushed some deer and they came out and uh <laughs> Dan Doty was the, was both the producer and the cameraman and there were these deer milling around and I had this one I was trying to get a doe because all the there was a bunch of small bucks and they all had their antlers yet and I was like I can't shoot one of them they're all bucks and I just remember Dan kind of whispering in my ear because this buck was standing broadside I had a beautiful shot at him he goes yes you can and uh (laughs) but I just remembered there was a whole group too so I don't think it's that unusual um although it's the end of March now um I mean these, these camera photos are from the last few days yeah uh was going back was march 28th and then i think on the what's today the first um yeah 28th 29th basically two days is one i end up uh a night photo and a daylight photo and one's one's probably a four point possibly going into a little spike or six um and then the other one's a six point so i mean but they're they're younger younger deer but um, just out of everything I've saw, it was just kind of crazy. And I mean, they're, um, 
some of them were herded up, um, but just something kind of crazy, you know, I was, was walking a property and didn't really find any sheds. And then I moved some cameras and I caught them and I just kind of caught my attention. I was just like, wow, you know, just, just wondering what's going on. And <clears throat> so that's interesting. I, I love stuff like that. You know, it's, it's just, uh, anecdotal and, and, um, and, and, and things that stick in your head. And I guess I would suggest is, you know, if you don't have a, a journal, um, to, to start one and, and write stuff like that down. Um, uh, my wife and I are, are always paying attention to what's, what's happening around our cabin. And, and then now here on our, uh, our place here in Kaz, um, the ice is out on the lake two weeks sooner than it was last year. Um, you know, so all those kinds of things, I just, I, I to me that just observing nature and, and, and all of that, and, and it helps you kind of, I, I think it helps you, one appreciate things more, but then also, um, um, you know, maybe helps to form a, uh, a feeling about conservation. Good question. Right Kyle. on. Um, I, and then I, do you mind if I ask? One yeah, more no, quick please or, go ahead. Want, good opportunity. So, um, Doug, I, I brought this up to, to Eric and Greg today, um, with the, uh, come April on the 13th was we're supposed to be in the DNR was supposed to be going to each county and have meetings. Um, but with the, the COVID situation, they've kind of pushed everything online um, with the 2020 uh, proposed changes to the, the hunting seasons. And I know there's, there's various with, um, you know, different ammunition, there's fishing changes and stuff like that, but more so to the, uh, the deer regulations and everything um and i don't necessarily want to get one side or, or anything um i just was just wondering i mean do, do you have any uh, have you had do any I have an opinion? <laughs> 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 i'm gonna interrupt here um kyle you picked the perfect time because i was looking to actually try and figure out a way of putting that in there um but you beat me to it which is good so <laughs> i'd rather have it come from a listener calling in than me throwing it out there so um yeah uh perfect timing for that i think go ahead yes so you're talking about the conservation congress um meetings which all happen on the same day and uh and there are there are advisory questions, of course, that the public gets to have input into. Um, and the the, uh, the ones about deer hunting that you are uh, um, asking about were actually placed on the uh, docket by a couple of members of the Natural Resources Board. Um, honest, my opinion is. Um, this what if i was if i would could if i could wave a wand um we would have a longer gun season uh we would be able to hunt with crossbows we would continue to hunt the crossbows have been a, a very positive thing given my opinion for archery in that it is a grow there are a growing number of people hunting with crossbows um there are a declining number of people uh, gun hunting, um, and we've all seen the numbers. You know, it's that there are fewer and fewer. So why would we take away one of the things that's? Um, why would we take away one of the growing parts of of hunting? Um, it, it, it just doesn't. It doesn't. That doesn't make sense to me. Um, I, I think all. there. Are, 
I think there are uh, other things at play there um, that uh, there's uh, that may not be, it may be in the best interest of uh, a particular group or a group of people who are interested in protecting their, uh, their particular way of hunting. But um, I'm not, I, I don't understand that either. Again, let's go back to Richland County. It's a great example. Richland County, 85% of our county is deer habitat. 95% of that um, habitat is privately owned. And I know you guys talk a lot about public land. There's actually some that at five percent of public land. Um, so if a landowner doesn't want uh, somebody using a crossbow on their place, then fine. Then say, hey, we're not using crossbows on my place. Um, if they don't want to bow hunt, then fine. I know I don't know many places that don't allow bow hunters because of just because of gun hunting. I do know some landowners or people who. Uh, control a piece of property who bow hunt it and then don't gun hunt it. And, and um, I don't know that that's a good, it may be a good policy for, um, for them in particular, but I know it's not a good man, a deer management policy. We actually, I, I'm not much of a, a bow hunter. I have a crossbow. I quit, um, I quit uh, vertical bow hunting a while ago, just, um, I never did it very much, and some of that's just because I, as I've said before, with my tongue in my cheek, but there's some truth to it that bow hunting is for people who don't have enough to do. Um, <laughs> but I also have a lot of respect for people who have committed to that, um, to being proficient uh, bow hunters, and I, and I have some friends who are. It's almost a lifestyle, right? They practice a lot, they, 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 and, and that's great, but uh, and fine if that's what they want to do, but to, to somehow uh, prevent other people from doing it doesn't make any sense to me at all, um, especially when, when it comes down to it. One of the things that the, the, the Department of Natural Resources have learned has learned is that if you're going to do deer management, it is with, you're going to need the stakeholders holders involved, and that's what we've done with the CDACs, uh, the County Deer Advisory Councils. So we have stakeholders involved. We uh, in Southwest Wisconsin, the, almost every CDAC in Southwest Wisconsin has asked for more tools, and most of those the tools to, to manage. Um, the only tools that we have are things like uh, number of uh, antlerless tags and whether we're going to have a holiday hunt, and then if we're going to allow bow hunting through the end of January. Um, we've talked about things like. Um, bringing back Ernabuck, which I was a proponent of. Um, and then um, some other folks have come up with the idea of a bonus buck, um, that if you shoot a doe and submit it for testing, you know, that we have it, there's a paper trail immediately that we could have, um, you know, that, that, that um, then you'd get another buck tag. And I haven't really talked to anybody, even guys who are, or hunters who are against uh, earn a buck who were against uh, the bonus buck idea. I don't know that that would get us to some of the management objectives, but we're trying to do two things in Richland County, for instance, in our surrounding counties. And that is to control population and control disease, not just for us, but for the future as well. And um, I think that uh, so much of what those proposals are are sort of short-sighted. The muzzleloader um, you know, the extension of the gun season is another one, which I think is a good idea. 
I happened to have uh, be a part of a conversation one day with a couple of the executive uh, folks from the Muzzle Loaders Association, and uh, it was believed that they were going to be upset about the idea of extending the gun season into the muzzle loader season, and, and they just said, "Don't bother us a bit," uh, which I was <laughs> pleasantly surprised to hear. And the and and I asked about it, and they said, "Well, honestly, anybody who's a serious muzzle loader hunter." takes that thing out opening day of gun season because it's a rifle, it's a gun and you can use it then too. And I went, huh, never even occurred to me. Um, the restricting of the crossbow, bad idea. I mean, that's my opinion. What were some of the other ones? I, I can't even remember. Yeah, there were some of them are just ridiculous. Uh, restricting of the crossbow. Um, questions 10 through 24. I've got it laid out because I'm in the process of putting together an article for a <laughs> blog. Um, the yeah. biggest thing I know is they were they were talking about is um, suspending basically suspending seasons and giving that that timeout break uh, between seasons and everything rather than leading right. you know two, one to one and stuff. They're they're giving you two different choices. It's well three, two days off, five days off, or no days off. So basically, from the end of bow season to the beginning of gun season, you get a a vote of two days between the two seasons five days or leave it alone which some of this stuff if you're reading through it you're looking at going boy this is pretty contradictory so you yeah. got to kind of weed through it and, and hope to god you're interpreting it correctly so you're it's as you're if doing they're looking thing. for a pro- yeah it's, it's as if they're looking for a problem right yeah what's the problem yep. with that all i the only explanation i heard for the, the quiet period was that it was going to generate excitement for the gun season. Yeah. That's exactly and, what they, they word in here. Generation for the gun season. I just scratch my head and go, well, I'm uh, excited for, for that right now. Give me a freaking break. The, the, yeah. Yeah. How do you change that many things and expect to be able to measure any of it? If you want to measure something and know well, what its impact is, you can't do 20 things at once. You'll never know what the thing was that impacted it. And so Doug, I think you're right. It's like, what are you trying to cause here? <laughs> You know, uproar, like because they're going to get that. Well, I'm certain. That, yeah, I I feel like the the excitement before gun season is opening day of archery season, and since they freed the laws on who can use crossbows, I mean, doesn't that basically give you all that time leading up into firearm season of getting more hunters out into the woods, giving them more time? I mean, the the biggest thing about opening day gun season in wisconsin is depending on what the weather's going to be like and depending where you are i mean some days it's 40s other days it's 10 degrees and with you know a foot of snow so why not try to get more people out there while the weather is nicer rather than you know trying to just bury them in one week of of gun season and the biggest thing i you know think about gun season is i always went out opening weekend and then that week was you know, spent with family during the holidays. And sometimes I went out the following weekend, but I, I know it's, you know, split half and half where some families go together for the holidays and go hunt or other ones, you know, go spend time. But, you know, if you're going to make one season stop, you know, so another season can go, why not just have as many people out in the woods? I mean, if you're out bow hunting in the woods during gun season, you still have to wear blaze orange. You're still following the same laws. So, you know what's the what's the idea i guess with stopping seasons and you know letting you know one certain type of firearm or you know 
thing be used? No, exactly. I, I would say, um, here's a tip. My buddy Pat Durkin uh, can be a little bit controversial sometimes in his, his articles and his writing. But I, and another guy that I discuss things with and, and sometimes heatedly. Um, but uh, he wrote a couple of pretty good articles about this. And I would say he's got a blog uh, that his weekly columns go up on, and then often they end up on Wisconsin Outdoor News. Go and read what he wrote about it. I think it makes a, a lot of sense. Um, one, uh, I'd say a couple of other things about it. One is, okay, so now you want to have this calm before the, the, the deer season to build up uh, excitement. Well, let's look at a couple of different scenarios. One is, what if you've got folks who uh, bow hunt and gun hunt, and they, uh, especially if we've got that early gun opener, last year we had a late gun opener, uh, but you have that early gun opener, and guy says, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, here's what I'm going to do, and I know people who've done this, I'm going to take off a few days before gun season, I'm going to bow hunt, and then I will be there for the opening weekend weekend of gun hunting because guess what? I want to be elsewhere with my family, friends, or whatever over the Thanksgiving holiday. For sure, um, I know people better that way too. And so having that kind of opportunity, right, where somebody could do those two things in the same week. The other part of it is, uh, or another example, I should say, is. Uh, I don't know how many years ago it's been now that we did a couple of meat eater episodes with, um, with my dear friends, Helen Cho and Brittany brothers and uh, friends of Steve's also. And, and they came down and, or they came out from uh, at that time, the show was out of New York and they, uh, they came out and we did, we went squirrel hunting and uh, they did their first deer hunts and people are like, Oh, you must've, they must have come and squirrel hunted a couple of weeks beforehand, and uh, and then you because you certainly wouldn't have anybody squirrel hunting right before the gun season. And I that makes me laugh every time I uh, I hear it. We literally squirrel hunted Friday afternoon, the day before opening day, and we shot a bushel basket full of squirrels. And Helen and Brittany were had a blast. In fact. They said, I think I enjoyed squirrel hunting as much, if not more, than gun hunting in some ways. And I remember my nephew saying to me, hey, Uncle Doug, uh, you're not going to squirrel hunt back there where I gun hunt, are you? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, man, <laughs> Sam, that's where we're going. And uh, he's like, but I'm going to be gun hunting there tomorrow. And it's like, yeah, I know. It'll, it'll be all right, <laughs> which is one of my favorite expressions. It'll be all right. The next morning, uh, he actually took out uh, a guy who came along who was our chef, who was Helen's um, Helen's uh, husband. Boyfriend. Is it? No, not husband, but boyfriend, and uh, okay. better half or whatever. Significant other. <laughs> that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> and uh, at seven, you know, barely after, uh, barely after shooting light, Sam shot a 140 class buck. Right where we had been squirrel hunting. I mean, right under, it fell under one of the trees. We had been shooting squirrels out of it. So that deer didn't <laughs> give two hoots about what had happened there the day before. And he didn't come running in there. He was just going about his business. Um, 
And I know that, you know, there's guys who are going to say, oh, yeah, well, like I don't want you squirrel hunting in my, my bow hunting woods or something like that because it messes up the uh, messes up the deer. But anyway, um, why, why, take, why take away opportunity? As you guys may know, the two biggest impediments for bringing new hunters into, into hunting, new people into hunting, is somebody to go with and a place to go. For sure. If we have if we have more opportunity, if we expand opportunity, I'm going to be more. I mean, hey man, opening weekend that's kind of my time, right? I mean, I have a bunch of folks hunt with me, and some of them are new hunters and stuff. And we've been I've been opening the farm up, and I've got a group of people, and then I invite a couple of other people, and it's just been really a lot. It's been a hoot. I mean, the last couple of well, the last handful of years, I've had over 30 people gun hunt our farm over the course of. Wow. The nine day, the four day, and then the antler this season and all of that. But, I mean, we also will shoot as many as the most we've ever shot were 32 deer on the farm. Jeez, yes, you're saying. guns. But, um, and you can't even tell when it comes to population because there's a lot of people around who just, it, the pressure isn't the way it used to be, right? But anyway, right. Um, uh, the, 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 you know, the point of that was is that the more opportunity, the more people, I, a guy like me, who like, yeah, week, opening weekend's kind of my time, I'd be more open to allowing other people onto the property then. And so let's, especially because I have management goals in mind, both numbers and, um, and, and actually I, there aren't any, we used to have restrictions on the farm and I don't have any at all anymore. Just shoot a deer that you're going to be happy with and make a good ethical shot and get it tested. And all of those things are a part of it. Um, but then it's also the kind of thing where later on in that season, I might go, hey, yeah, I'd love to. I, I've taken all kinds of folks out who are, you know, some of them are real experienced hunters and some of them are not. And I'm just, the, the expanding the opportunity expands both the opportunities for hunting and then opportunities for other people, for, you know, for more experienced hunters to take other people out. Why would you, why would you restrict that? Makes no sense to me at all. Good question. So, but so Mitch Baker yeah, well, actually commented and reminded us that these are just questions to gauge the interest and it's not stuff they're actually going to do. <laughs> so yeah. thank you, Mitch. Engage interest, but they will also raise hairs on backs of necks and get tempers flared. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's a, I used to think this way, fellas, and you know, it's taken me a long time to kind of get there. But uh, I, I, you know, there's a selfish, there's a selfishness in it, right? Like if uh, if Doug Duran gets that deer, my neighbor didn't get it, right? So um, it took me a while. I mean, it was just a few years ago, and we were doing buck management. I mean, the biggest thing I was congratulating neighbors on was when they would get a nice buck. And I remember the one neighbor saying, "I'm just shocked that you stopped by here and were so happy for me." <laughs> I'm like, well, why? That was the idea. And he goes, it pisses me off every time I know that when you guys shoot another big one. I'm like, huh. Well, then they're not our deer, right? They're not my deer. I may control the land that they're on, but they're everybody's deer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so, but I and I, I remember saying to that guy, but you're doing exactly what we, you know we had talked about. Now I've changed my mentality about that, right? And we're still shooting some beautiful bucks. But, um, you know, older bucks and stuff, but um, I quit, I, I just quit 
all of that stuff. And it was really take a good ethical shot, take a deer you're going to be happy with, we'll all be happy with it, get it tested. Because I got tired of managing people. And it took, you know, people keep saying, we got to put the fun back in deer hunting. Well, that's one way you do it, is to get rid of that kind of, you know, expectation. I've actually encouraged everybody who hunts on my place, kill a buck. I'm trying to, and I don't care if it's a spike or whatever. It used to be on our place, man, you, there was a, you had to wear a a sombrero if you shot too small of a deer or a nubber or anything like that. And it was fun and funny, but I mean, we were never any fines or anything like that. Just a little ridicule and good, good natured humor between friends. But, but I, I got upset with a friend of mine one time and it wasn't that many years ago about it. And then I just like, I'm not going to do that anymore. I don't want to be that guy. And if you want to talk about bringing the fun back into gun hunt, uh, into deer hunting, that certainly is one of the things that did. Um, and I've had a blast opening my place up to and uh, to more hunters. And uh, I, I will say this before I start getting bombarded by questions about can I come and hunt on your farm by, by folks on social media or whatever. Um, it's sort of like Green Bay Packer tickets. It's a really long list. Um, and uh, I have a friend who actually got season packer tickets recently and he still doesn't know why because he wasn't on the list that long i said well it's just serendipitous i guess um and uh so there's no rhyme or reason sometimes to how uh you know who i end up inviting and things like that i mean it's usually people who are interested or interesting because that's what i'm that's what I'm, i'm i'm about is interesting people um uh, and then the other thing that I, my expectation is from folks is that they are making a contribution to conservation. It's not about, this was a forester said this to me, it's not about what you take from the woods when you're doing forestry. You need to really think about what it is that you're leaving. So one of the questions I have for folks who um, I end up considering, um, you know, inviting, because it's still by invitation, it's not wide open. I, I, that's not something that I'm interested in. Um, is just opening the place wide open to folks. It's like, well, what is your, what have you done to contribute to conservation? I mean, why are you interested in hunting? I mean, I had, I've had people write to me and say, I really want to kill a big giant buck, so I'd really like to come and hunt with you. Well, I, that's not going to get you on my place. Uh, <laughs> You know, um, and I do, I get a lot of requests and, and I wish I could, I, I mean, I try to answer every message that I get from people um, and those who email me too. I, and I have, I don't think I've ever not. Well, we're, we're proof of that because we're talking right now and you got back to me and, and we've had, we've had a, a good conversation and now you're, we're having another one. And at some point it'd be fun when all this virus stuff is done to, you know, maybe have a bonfire together and have some conversation over some of those nice drinks you got upstairs you're talking about. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, conversations about conservation, because mm-hmm. it's a lot of different things that we can talk about. Um, so um, I try to answer everybody, and I really appreciate that people reach out to me. And it's just, gosh, it's so gratifying. And I'm, honestly, it's humbling that um, I get some heartfelt stuff from people. And it's like, you know, I, I just hope that I, you know, live up to the try to live up. You're doing okay. You know, You're doing okay. Well, you know, it's kind of weird <laughs> uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm an okay, I'm an all right guy, as Todd Snyder would say. I, I know I'm, an, I think I'm an all right guy, but I certainly have my flaws and some of them are pretty glaring. Folks just don't see them. Yeah. 
Well, you're right at home here on the OKS podcast in the Midwest. <laughs> Talking to the OKS Hunter. I think you're in good company Honestly, here. Man. Honestly, that is the, when I saw that, I just laughed and I said, yeah, I, I got to talk to this guy. <laughs> yeah, we keep it real here. We don't, you know, it's, we're real people. We're trying to learn as much as we can. We learn, you know, from the masses. There's not one single expert that's going to teach us everything. I think the collective pool of people that contribute to this show over the last seven years have, you know, helped inform, you know, just my thought process and how I think about things. And you, you're going to be a big one for that. I think this is, shaped up to be a pretty uh, informative episode with some good thoughts. I mean, the comments coming through are really positive. Um, Kyle, I'm the, I'm the, the time Nazi yep. of the show. I'm going to kick you out of here and we're going to hear yeah, uh, Doug's memorable yep. hunt and we'll keep rolling. Thanks for the call. Yeah. Appreciate it guys. Appreciate it, Doug, for your time. Yeah. Thanks Kyle. All right. See you guys. See you Kyle. Um, mainly cause I just want to make sure I can enjoy a bonfire tonight, Doug, <laughs> but, uh, no, I asked I asked the question early on and, and had you think about it. If um, you had to pick one or a top one of three or something, what's your what's your most memorable hunt? Um, man, I had some with my dad that um, are fantastic, and I can't ever uh, I can't ever talk about hunting or conservation and not mention my father. So I, I need to do this again. Um, He's the guy, he, he, I, I remember him telling me when I was a kid and telling my brothers and I when I was a kid, he goes, well, you know, when you're hunting, you're not just hunting for yourself. You're hunting with a group of guys. He used to go and do deer drives and stuff way up north back in the day. The real deer hunting, he used to call it. But as far as my personal most memorable hunt, it has to be the one that you can all go. <laughs> it sounds like a terrible plug. But it's, you can go and watch it on Netflix. Um, and it's also on the uh, Outdoor Channel or something right now. Um, it's on Netflix on the meat eater um, site. It's the, the Alaska caribou hunt that I, that I did with Steve and, and Mark Kenyon and uh, Giannis, uh, Yanni Jamani, Giannis Patelis was along. Uh, Chris Gill was one of the cameramen, Rich Pounder, Brody Henderson, um, Dirt Myth, Garrett Smith. Um, and uh, God, am I forget somebody? There were seven of us, Steve, Steve, Yanni. Hang on um, anyway, it was really memorable and you can see it on, you know, I mean, it's, it's a cool thing for a guy like me to, to have um, a hunt like that recorded because I've never done anything like that before. Um, and uh, to have, you know, my buddy Steve take me up there and uh, was, it was, it was incredible. It was the first time I met Mark. Uh, he said, Mark Kenyon, who I've, who I've come to just, I've grown very, very fond of Mark Kenyon, but I got to tell you this quick story. I've, I've been staying at Steve's uh, place for a couple of nights. I got out to Seattle a little early and I spent a couple of nights in town visiting friends and hanging out and stuff. And then Steve and his family got back and I went and, and stayed with him and, and we go, we're going to the airport and um, we get there and it's all these dudes that I've done other stuff with, right? Because that was, I'd already done five or six episodes and it's the first time I'm going to meet Kenyon. And, and I knew what was, knew what was going on it's before all the meat the beef came apart of meteor but i knew this was kind of steve wanted to get a cut of his jib and he wanted my opinion of the guy and uh you know and mark is young enough to be my son i mean i'm twice his age and so we show up to the airport and there's mark and there's the guys and i'm just like all these guys that i know and there's mark and he's you know kind of younger than everybody else and he's a little he's a little quirky and and, and at that time i thought it was weird but now i just think it's endearing and he 
first thing he says to me, because I guess he doesn't know what else to say to me, he goes, well, so Doug, what kind of uh, pre-rut activity are you seeing out there in Wisconsin? <laughs> and I just looked at him like, huh? I'm going to Alaska on a caribou hunt, and you want to talk about white-tailed deer? Nah. And I was just like, uh, let me get back to you. I, I need to get a drink. Um, and uh, it was so fun to, to, to do that. And, I, and he was kind of annoying uh, for a part of that hunt. <laughs> Um, and again, he was sort of the man out because the rest of us knew everybody, but he's just this, such a wonderful guy, you know, and uh, I, I've really come to like him. But that hunt and to be in a part, being uh, where we were in the 40 mile river area and have, we were seeing a thousand caribou a day oh, wow. or more. I, I saw a thousand bull caribou. I mean, we the, all three of the ones that we killed were in the top, oh, I don't know, 50 or 75 that were, that we saw. Um, it was, uh, for me, an adventure of a lifetime. And uh, um, my dad, who never went to Alaska and uh, always wanted to, then he met my mom. He was in college and he was going to go to Alaska. And he told her, don't get attached to me. I'm going to go to Alaska. And they ended up getting married and all that. Well, I've been to Alaska four times. That was the only one that was recorded. The other three times were with Steve and his brothers and some other guys um, to their shack on Prince of Wales Island, Island fishing. And my dad just loved those stories. And he passed away between the third fishing trip and the, um, the Alaska um, episode where we went up there. And uh, I actually had some of his ashes in a 3006, spent 3006 shell in my pocket the entire trip. Wow. And my intention was, to, my intention was to leave that up there. So when you watch it, Steve doesn't even know this. I never told him anything about it. But uh, when you watch that episode and I shoot the caribou and I, I, I get very emotional. I'm kind of an emotional guy, but I got particularly emotional. And, um, and part of it was because, because of my dad and, and uh, what happened there and having, um, having him along with me. And I, I, I had uh, in, intended to leave that uh, 306 shell up there in the, the 40 mile river Yukon area. And I didn't, I brought it back with me and took it and put it under his favorite deer sand on the farm. So he went to Alaska and completed the whole circle of, uh, of doing it. So that was my favorite hunt and um, tying my dad into it as well. That's, that's pulling the heartstrings a little bit there. Damn it, Doug. <laughs> yeah, well, man. That's uh, yeah. It was, it was that is sentimental. Fantastic, fantastic opportunity, and I and I again, I I just feel so fortunate to have become friends with Steve, um, and been a part of. You know, I I was the guy who introduced him to Vortex Optics, and to be around these last, you know, really the last ten years and watching both of their. Um, stars rise the way that they have. Hell, I remember when Vortex just had that one building out down there in Middleton, and now they got this enormous facility out out in Barneville, and uh, got them together, and and uh, you know just a lot of serendipitous stuff that um, I just feel super fortunate. And I guess the only downside I would say about Steve's popularity is it's a little between that and when I met him, he had just gotten married, didn't have any kids. Well, now you know he's got three kids and, and I know and love them all it's, and with the popularity of the show and, and media the whole media juggernaut it's just a heck of a lot easier to get or I'm sorry it's very difficult a lot, a, a lot more difficult to get time to go hunting with uh, with my buddy it's 
that's the downside of it. But I've met so many people that that's the balance. And Interesting. Anyway. That's a good way to put it, the balance. Yeah. And it's, it, it just go back to your story for two seconds that having that experience in such a vast landscape must have made you, that must have played into it a lot too. I can't imagine. Um, but, and Doug, thank, thank you for, for doing this with us today. You know, we got, we got the, you know, uh, Kyle called in. I'm glad that, you know, we at least got single caller to call in. I think everyone's outside on this nice day. Um, that's my belief, but, um, yeah, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Well, you hit the record button, right? I did remember to hit the record button. This is the OKS podcast, so oh I'm allowed God. enough. So you can <laughs> maybe you can replay it at another time or or, yeah. or edit it and, and take out some of my nonsense. But uh, nah, no, we I'm keep really it. Glad you keep did it going. too, man. Yeah. Uh, and uh, happy to take the time. And and uh, I guess uh, yeah, uh, conservation. You know, it's not ours. It's just our turn well summed up and uh just as a as a last kind of call out to make sure people know where to find you um you called out instagram and uh that sounds like that's probably the best place to follow along see what you're up to and if anyone wants to reach out seems like eventually you'll get to them at some point yep at doug duran on instagram um Soon I'll be making an announcement about a website and people have been asking me about the merchandise. I've got stickers and magnets and we've got some hats coming. And I, I just didn't want to, I wanted to have everything in place before we, uh, before we put it out. And um, so that's all coming out. And, and, uh, and I also, you know, I felt just felt a little weird about launching anything like that with, you know, people dying and all these things going on, but um, it seems like, um, the folks that I've talked to about it were like, ah, come on, put it out there. People need the distraction too. And yeah, people true. are interested yeah. in your, in it, in the message. So yep. um, hopefully in the next week or so, we'll, you'll, you'll see something from me on Instagram. Very good. Well, we'll help uh, push it out as much as we can. Although, you know, our audience uh, size might not be as big as yours, but every little bit helps. So we'll keep an eye out for that. Send yeah, us yeah, a message sure. when, when it comes out, we'll, we'll help promote. Cool. Cool. All right, so this section is normally brought to you by eHunter. Uh, it still is. It's just Taryn is, uh, he's on the front lines and he's dealing with uh, the COVID-19 virus stuff uh, firsthand in the medical industry. And uh, that is taking up his time, energy, and uh, it's a lot. So I want to thank him for his hard work on the front lines, so to speak, I would say I could do that news, but I wouldn't do it much justice. I will say, if you want to see what's going on in the, around the country uh, and get the latest news, head on over to eHunter, E-H-U-N-T-R.com, and uh, start to navigate their site. It's your, it's your one-stop shop for everything in the outdoor industry is related to news. And uh, hopefully, uh, Taryn Hunt will get some rest and... Uh, take care of himself at some point here after working so hard and be back to it next week. All right. The tip of the week, another tip of the week. You get two tips this week. So it should be the two tip of the week. Uh, what a great week. And the fact that we're doing two podcasts this week, my wife is a saint for taking care of our kids two nights this week. And last night she made me this incredible, well, I mean, the dinner was really good. The fact that she made it and put it on a tray for me was really something else. But uh, 
Anyways, let's get into the tip of the week and hear what Anthony Heller has to say with Dear Vane. What's up, everybody? Thanks for having me on again, Greg and Eric. Really appreciate it. Knocking out two podcasts in one week. It's a lot of work for you guys, so I hope this tip is uh, worth it for your listeners to stick around for another another end of the podcast. Uh, this week's tip of the week is more on the philosophical end, and that is that people who speak to you in absolutes or post uh you know, comments or in forums or on Instagram or Facebook or anything in absolutes are generally either being paid by that company, they're sponsored by that company, or they're just really not that knowledgeable. Uh, That's the best way I can say it. Because people who say this is the best broadhead, this is the only bow you should ever buy, this is the only way you can kill a big whitetail, this is the only way you can hunt elk, you only can hunt out of a tree saddle or else you're an idiot. People who speak like that generally are not that knowledgeable and they're kind of probably a waste of your time. People, when I've talked to them that are the most knowledgeable, that I've gained the most information from, that are the most experienced, put out information that is situational. They say things along the lines of, I don't know exactly what your entire situation is, but if I were in your shoes, this is what I would try. And you're going to have to try multiple things and multiple ways to do stuff and you're going to probably fail a lot but at some point you're going to figure out what works best for you and when you figure that out keep it don't forget it and continue to use it and to me when people tell me that that just opens my eyes to all the different situations scenarios and combinations between everybody things that work great for me personally might not work great for you they might they might we might be able to transfer skills and transfer you know equipment great but sometimes it won't so when you're trying things out when you're looking for advice when you're asking for help when you're browsing the internet always take people who th- say things with absolutes with a grain of salt do your research figure out what works best for you and go that route all right so i hope that helps guys And uh, I'll catch you later. Okay, so I completely agree with that. And as per our guest, Doug Duran, on today's episode, it's very important to keep an old mind. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and call Doug old or anything like that, but you can teach an old dog new tricks, as he expressed and talked about. So, um you know, and even Greg shared his story too of his encounter with, uh, you know, learning more about CWD. And, um, you know, I try to keep an open mind with everything. Being in this space, there's some controversy that comes up from time to time and I try not to get caught up in that stuff. And uh, just look at the bigger picture, the greater good, and uh, keep an open mind. There's always, you can learn from so many people in so many different ways. So uh, great tip, Anthony. Thank you so much. And look, if you've made it this far, you're a diehard listener. We appreciate a whole bunch. Don't forget that we are now running, um, I don't know what you want to call it, a program on Patreon. And uh, five bucks a month gets you, it's going to get you some koozies there on their way, but also some stickers. And that's out of the gate. What it really gets you is a big giveaway once a quarter. So we are buying up stuff and working with partners now till the end of June to put together one hell of a package Um, This is going to be a big giveaway, so if you want to partake in that, uh, you just have to be a Patreon member by the time we do that giveaway, and uh, we're going to do another and another and another. We're going to do one every single quarter, and the money that you put into that Patreon, is that money goes right back into that. So 
Uh, it's pretty neat. And additionally, if you made it this far, we love your ratings and reviews on iTunes. So please head over to iTunes. It helps us a bunch to make sure other people can hear this podcast. And it's our oxygen, if I'm being honest, and uh, helps us know how to steer the ship and put out good, valuable content. That being said, I hope everybody has a great week. The weather seems like it's, uh, I don't know, cheering up, I guess. So with all this um, social distancing, lockdown stuff, I hope that wherever you are, you can find time and access to get outdoors. Have a great day in Hunt Public.